Hey, y'all. Before we get started, are you in our private Facebook group? And I know you're thinking, Facebook? I ain't going to be doing no Facebook. Listen, we are the light in that area of the internet. Unconventional leaders. We have a powerful community of creative entrepreneurs, those who are going against the grain, stepping up, using their voice in their own unique way. Try us out. You ain't got nothing to lose. Again, that is unconventional leaders over on the Facebook. Here's the deal, y'all. It's a solid truth we don't talk enough about. Leadership can be lonely. Now, listen, you might be like, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have a position, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole idea of this show is we want to help reframe what your creative work means, the purpose of it, the impact that it has when you are able to show up fully in your work, whether that means you are leading teams of people or writing stories for people to read. Putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, I think is a huge part of leadership. But a misconception about leaders is that just because there's a lot of people around them or a lot of people consuming their work or buying their work or whatever, that they have a huge community around them, that they're never lonely, that they have it all together, but that cannot be further from the truth. How do we lead through our work, but still find our own connection? I was born with several palsy. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up, use their voice, and make an impact in this world. What's up, y'all? Welcome to today's episode. If this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody. I am your host. Today, we are talking with Scott Spate who is a chaplain in the U.S. Army and trains men and women in clinical pastoral education. Now, we're like, what? what? Huh? I thought we were talking about connecting for leaders. Listen in, y'all. Scott is training leaders, right? Chaplains, people who sit with others and try to provide support for those in some of their darkest hours. But like I said in the intro, you can be around a lot of people and still feel disconnected with yourself. And sometimes as a leader, you feel like you need to have it all together. And that can be incredibly isolating. Who do you trust with your stuff? That's what we're going to dig in today with Scott. But before we get started, if you've not done so yet, if you identify as an ambitious, creative, you are our people. I invite you to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. And if you haven't done so yet, if you would drop us a rating review over on iTunes or your Apple podcasting app, it helps us so much. We show up every single week for you guys, leaving those reviews helping us in that way. Just super grateful for you. But I'm done yapping. I know you want to hear about how to connect as a leader with the amazing Scott Spate. I am an Army Reservist. I'm a chaplain in the Army Reserves. Was selected in 2017, the only reservist in the country, the only select one a year to go to Fort Hood to earn a second master's degree, or it it was my second, uh, in marriage and family therapy. And so I got selected to do that in 2017, uh, completed that degree in 18 months. From there, was sent to um, an, another active duty station in South Carolina, Arsent, which is Third Army. Used to be, if you remember in history, George Patton's Army, General Patton. And so we are ranked kind of third under the Pentagon, and we control all of theater. So I was in and out of Kuwait and Jordan and different countries for the last two years doing some some work with the Jordanian government, training their 
they're imams. Ima, an imam is a equivalent to a U.S. chaplain. How come you chose to go into the chaplain, being a chaplain in general? Michael, can we just talk about that real quick? Come from a family of uh, where my father was a pastor. He was a, my dad was a chaplain in the army as well. I had always wanted to serve in the military. In 2009, the door opened up, and I submitted a packet to go active duty or to go uh, into the reserves and was selected. You, as a chaplain, you've got to be selected. It's a different board. You don't just sign up like you do with the regular army and just go in. You have to put a packet together. How come? Why do they have to um, select you? You've got to have special training. You've got to do go through special degree. And they really want somebody that's not going to hurt the soldiers. It's not going to, to just be out there to try to win them for Christ so much as to just support them and to be there for them and to be there, you know, during times of, of trauma and that sort of thing. It's a unique board that gets put together just for for chaplains. What were you doing uh, in 2009 before going into the military? So I was doing the same thing that I'm continuing to do, but I was doing leadership coaching and working with organizations and going in and training their their managers to be leaders. Was selected to go in the military. And of course, being in the reserves, you're, you're typically one week in a month. I was two or three weeks a month, it seems like, for the last 11 years. Doing a lot of work. Uh, a lot of the work that I've done has been around um, marriage and family training, doing retreats, doing leadership retreats in the military, doing retreats for single soldiers, doing a lot of suicide prevention and inter intervention work and working with, um, with a lot of PTSD, which is part of the reason why I got selected to go to the marriage and family therapy route in 2017. What was it like growing up with a dad who did that kind of work? It was horrible. Um, really? We lived in a glass house, basically. You, I remember... And when I was in elementary school, being called out uh, at church one Sunday because my dad was the preacher and I was supposed to know all the answers. I got pretty embarrassed at the time. It was tough back then. You know, churches were different. It was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, it was a very, you know, rigid, rigid thing. And leadership looked different back then. And I remember there were many times when the leadership call out my mom or they call out my dad for different things. And I always said, I don't want to be a part of that. Kids sometimes didn't know how to relate to me because I was the preacher's kid, but I was just a kid. I wasn't, I wasn't my dad. I wasn't, I wasn't my mom. So did you go through all that? You know, the stereotypical preacher's kid, you got crazy and wild and it's like, screw it all. But you, did you ever go through that? Because I mean, you're a pastor chaplain in ministry now. I mean, was that always the case? You know, so that's, I was always the good kid. I was always, my mom taught at my high school when I went to high school. And so I couldn't do anything wrong. If I made a move, she knew about it. It was a you know, small, fairly small school. Went off to a private college and had an accident in 1993. I had a head on collision. I had been serving a church at the time as a youth pastor. The pastor of that church refused to come to the accident, refused to come to the hospital, just quite almost abusive uh, in, in a way. And after that experience, as I was healing and, and kind of coming out of that, I really kind of pulled away from the church. And that was that was my my time that I kind of went went wild. And so it wasn't until my 20s that I really did that and made some pretty poor choices. What drew you so, back in? Miserable. I knew that I needed something. I knew what I had before and I felt clear. I felt felt like I was protected. I felt like I was I had clear guidance and direction in my life before. I didn't have that afterwards, after the accident. I think that was what really kind of drew me back in was I eventually started going back to church and found a group of people that surrounded me and uh, became good friends. That was what I needed. You know, so that community and direction. Like I identify with that a lot. 
do you see that as a, I'm just going to say pastor for lack of better terms, as a leader, as a spiritual leader? Is that something that a lot of people need and deal with? Because I relate to that. Is that just me and you or is that like a common thing? No, I think it's a common thing. I think a lot of people don't realize how much they need community. They think that they can do it alone. They go through an experience like I did, you know, some type of trauma, and they think they can overcome, they can heal on their own because they're strong, because they're, they want to prove to the, themselves or prove to somebody that they can. I think we were created for connection. I think we were created to be in community. You know, you always hear people say it takes a village to raise a kid. Well, I think it takes a village to for us as adults to kind of come together and stay together and to stay strong and to keep us really part of that accountability. You know, you know, you've got somebody else counting on you and, and you want to do right by them and you want to, them to do right by you. And so I think, I think, you know, we all struggle with that. I, mean, I think community is hard though. Like I, I was on a call yesterday with a friend of mine um, and he's in ministry. He, he has a position at a church and he is a, just a phenomenal human being served his butt off in this place. But he, you know, to shared yesterday is just like, it is so isolating. Like there are people you know, you would think being in a community where people gather, you would feel that, but we don't sometimes. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're on these clubhouse and we're doing all this stuff and yet you feel still so alone. And I think that's what I'm, you know, my question is like right now, you may not have an answer. I don't know. It's a big one, but we are so connected and yet feel so isolated still at the same time. Zig Ziglar was one of my, my favorite speakers and, and, and authors. And, and he wrote a book uh, years ago. It's lonely at the top. There's a lot of truth in that. I think, you know, the higher up you get in leadership, the more prestige, the, the more you become popular, if you will, people want more from you. And it's not that they want to be with you. It's they want something from you. And and I find, you know, as a leader, as a trainer of, of men and women in, in chaplaincy, as a, as you know, when people reach out, it's they need something. Now and then I'll get a message, hey, how are you doing? But it's, I'm, I feel like I'm always giving. And so, and, and as a leader, who do you trust with your own, with your stuff? You know, if you're, if you're counseling, you're coaching, you're training, you're leading, who can you trust with your stuff in that moment? You know, I've had to be very careful with, with who I surround myself with as that, as my community. And it's a very small community. I mean, I've got a huge following and a huge community of people that I, that I lead and I speak to, but my community that I can trust and that I can go to and say, Hey, man, I'm feeling, I'm feeling all kinds of awkward and weird and, and screwed up and, and life just sucks. That community is very small that I can go to. For sure. And, you know, it too, also being driven type A, y'all know who you are listening. Uh, I, I'm not that at all. You know, sometimes we tell ourselves, we fool ourselves to be like, you know, I'm cool. I'm okay. I can do this, whatever. And one of the things that you, you know, mentioned earlier, which was super powerful is in order to help other people, we've got to lean in and take care of some of our own crap. In order to really serve other people, we've got to start from within. And sometimes there's so many blind spots because we're moving so fast and our intention is good, right? We want to help people. We want to make a difference through whatever our work is. Um, but seeing some warning signs or really acknowledging the help that we do need, advice, tips, thoughts on like where we should start, um, especially when we're driven and fine. Yeah, I think a lot of times we are put in places to help other people that are dealing with some of the same stuff that we're dealing with. When we do that, we've got to be able to recognize, hey, I'm dealing with some of the same stuff. And, and you know, you being an, a, a therapist and, the, you know, the, the terms transference and countertransference, we have a tendency to transfer our stuff and countertransfer and, and just recognizing that, hey, 
I'm not completely healthy. And I there's some areas in my life that I've got to focus on and I've got to work through the process. And and I always tell my coaching clients and my, my counseling clients, you're never going to get over it. You find a way to work through it and you get to the other side of it. And and I think sometimes we're by putting by being put in those places where we're dealing with people that are dealing with the same situations, it's kind of that that idea of hey, you got to face this. You can't let it go any longer because it's just going to continue to fester and it's going to continue to more and more difficult to deal with it. Once you recognize it, then it's time to start doing something about it. But I think, you know, as leaders, what you said a while ago is spot on, that we think we've got it all together. We don't want other people to see that we don't have it all together because then they might not trust us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've I've got a close friend that shared with me a couple of years ago. He said, you know, he said, people will respect you more if they realize that, you're a broken man. A hundred percent. And it, I remember I was standing outside walking around by the pond and I wanted to jump through the phone and slap him upside the head because I didn't want to hear that in a moment. <laughs> it was absolutely true. And you're working with men exclusively right now. Is that correct? And being, so helping them be more vulnerable? Like, why don't we try to be vulnerable? I'm not in the mood for that. That's kind of scary. <laughs> it is kind of scary. So while I was deployed last year, I was in one of those scary spots. Um, you know, it was right, it was during the time of COVID. Um, there was no date for me to come back. I was I was told that they didn't know when I was going to come back. There were times when I wasn't sure if I was coming back. I was over there when COVID hit. And so we were getting news of all these deaths going on with COVID and all this thing stuff going on. And and where I was at, we only had like two ventilators, 7,000 7, people on the base with two ventilators. And you can imagine when you're watching the news every night, the little bit of news we were getting and the, the intel that we were getting from the Pentagon and it was quite frightening, to be honest. You know, I realized in that moment, in order to get through it, I had to be bold. I had to be bold in my faith. I had to be bold in who I was. I had to be bold. I really began to think about this idea of go boldly. And and it came from a verse, Genesis 12, where God told Abram to go to the land that he would show him. That hit me that sometimes we've got to go to those places where we don't know and we've got to be patient and we've got to wait. I put an, a men's group together. It's a free Facebook group on, on Facebook, the Go Boldly Brotherhood, because I think men are very, you know, they don't realize the necessity of being vulnerable and the necessity of surrounding themselves with community like we were talking about a while ago. And and what, what it means to be in a, a part of a brotherhood that says, hey, I'm hurting. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not doing well, or, hey, I've got this going on, or, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this in my business, or, hey, can you give me this business idea? And I put this group together for men to really kind of come together, to share their faith, to share their, their strengths, to share their weaknesses, to share their hurts, their pain. And I'm finding great strength in that group coming out of this, this idea of just being vulnerable. I got a, I got an email from a guy this morning and said, hey, I feel more clean and cleansed than I have in a long time just from being able to share my story and share my experience. He goes, I'm not, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm on the journey now. How's the experience and, going working face-to-face with people to online? Does it feel similar or what's the transition been like for you personally talking about very vulnerable real things digitally? You know, I think when when I'm working one-on-one with a client, it's a lot easier for them to become vulnerable. When I'm working, I've, I've done online groups for about eight years now. And so working in groups is something I've really kind of gotten really good at. And, and I've really honed in on how do I create that safe place for people to come together, even in an online space. And I think sometimes for them, it's 
it's safe because it is online. They don't know each other in person. And a lot of times they don't know other people's family members. They don't know other people's friends. So it's a little bit safer for them to share. At the same time, it alleviates that closeness. So we don't have that closeness where guys can get together and go go have lunch and go, you know, meet and talk about things in person, go play golf or whatever. Um, so it's kind of a, a both and. It's, it works well, but I think it you know, meeting in person. And that's part of what I'm putting together is as these men grow, I'm, I want to put together retreats twice a year for them to come together. We meet maybe in Florida, or we meet in North Carolina or Atlanta or someplace and and work together for a weekend and train, talk, do something fun, go hiking, do, do um, uh, you know, sometimes a rope, some type of ropes course or something like that. So that there's there's both the in-person and the, the online. Cool. Cool. You know, um, being a chaplain, I'm sure you have seen probably just the darkest side of humanity, right? I'm sure, correct me if I'm wrong. These are assumptions that there have been times where you've been at a loss for words, maybe of what to even say or to tell someone. And as a leader, as someone who cares deeply about people, when someone comes to you and they are being vulnerable. They are taking that step and they are sharing, you know, I've heard camps of different things, you know, like just listen, just be there, you know, all this different stuff. Um, with your experience, your expertise in this as a leader, when things happen like that, where people, somebody confines in you and maybe you don't know the answer, you don't have something to, to drive them towards. What are people really looking for in times like this? And as a leader, what is the best way for us to respond? I think there's people that are looking for answers, but we don't have the answers. I think the answers, um, I I think personally the answers are within them. Helping them to pull that answer out, helping them to pull the solution out of them is 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 critical. But I think in times of crisis, in times of trauma, when people are at their lowest, what they need most is somebody that's going to come alongside them, pick them up when they need to be picked up, carry them when they need to be carried, give them food when they need to be emotional, mental, physical food, just to be present with them. A lot of times what people struggle with is their families are judgmental, their friends are judgmental. They don't understand that they're down and they expect them just to get over it and to move on. And I think the biggest thing that people need in those times are just somebody to just be present with them. Is that enough? I think in that moment, it is. I think in that moment, it is. Long term, they need somebody to, to come alongside them and walk the journey. When do we know we're ready through our own story to start helping others through theirs? Because healing is a continuum, right? It's not a yes or no, it's a journey. So how do I know I'm ready to start really reaching people with my story? You know, I don't know. I think, right for, <laughs> I think for different people, when the when the time comes, the right people will show up for them to share their story. I always tell my, my clients, the thing that you're dealing with the most, God's going to put that person in your life that's dealing with something very similar, so be prepared. There's a lot of people going through um, hate terms, because I never know what people's story is behind these words, but lack of better terms, uh, deconstruction and reconstruction and really um, you know, I've, I'm sure, you know, you know, my own journey, I've gone through a lot over the past few years in that side. Um, and there is still that still small voice, that nudge, that um, connection to God where, you know, I think most people listening to this show, because I would have ran them off otherwise, still believe in God. But there's so much pain because what you're talking about, honestly, Scott, is a spiritual journey, right? And being willing to really tap in because being vulnerable, I mean, like you got to start dealing with some stuff, okay? Keeping in mind that our audience is, you know, a, a variety of beliefs and thoughts and, and, and so forth. Um, tapping back into that spiritual side and that self, 
sometimes that's really painful and hard. Uh, maybe we don't want to run to a church building. Where can we start exploring that side of God and us and retapping back in when that's such a sore, painful place to go? We talk a lot about pastors and chaplains, and there's a difference between a pastor and a chaplain. A pastor is somebody that is pastoring a church, um, doing ministry. A chaplain is somebody that's been trained in a specific training, and it's what I what I do with men and women. Um, but I have found over the last few years that more and more people are tapping into chaplains because they're very specifically trained to to just sit and be present. That's what I tell my, my students. Your job is just to be. As chaplains, especially military chaplains, we've seen a lot. We see we see people from different walks of life and we're trained to deal with it. We're trained to sit with it. We're trained to listen. We're trained to to handle it. A lot of pastors aren't. They're taught in in school how to how to prepare a sermon and deliver that. And they're not taught in the pastoral care side. People today are looking for answers. And unfortunately they're look sometimes they're looking in the wrong place and they're getting the wrong answers. And helping helping somebody to tap into who they are and to get back to their their belief system, their embedded belief system um, of who they truly are at the core is so critical right now. If your listeners are looking for for that space, you know, I, I would encourage them to to find somebody that they can trust, which is so tough right now. But there are people out there that they can trust, even if it's a counselor, even if it's a, you know, somebody that that um, that's a coach that's got a spiritual background. I think that you've got a better chance of finding somebody that you can trust in that that aspect. Than not. You're spot on. Right now, it's people are searching. They're scared and they're rebuilding and, and they're afraid of if I rebuild this, is it going to get torn down again? Whatever, whatever this is, right? It could be a business. It could be a relationship. It could be a new job. It could be a family. Whatever this quote unquote is, is unique for everybody. Scott, we have a um, session, session, section. I don't even know the word I'm trying to think of. A spot in our show where um, we talk about an unsung hero in your life. A lot of times we think that making a difference in this world means you have to have this many followers, this much money, this much fame, whatever. Uh, more often than not, the people who make the biggest difference in our lives uh, aren't the, the famous folk. Nobody knows who they are. They're the unsung hero, right? If you were to look back over your life, and I'm sure there's many, yeah. but uh, one person who may be sticking out in your mind right now who did or said something, spoke something into your life that really impacted you, who would your unsung hero be? I, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a big guy, but I, um, I started playing football when I went, was in the ninth grade and it was my first experience with sports. And the, one of the coaches, his name was George Norton, he was an older gentleman. He had become, been coaching for years, and he taught uh, he taught there at the high school. And I remember him saying to us one day um, that he, we will know he will know that he's getting through to us when we hear him in our dreams. And and I've never forgotten that. And for me, that that's always kind of stuck with me that um, that he was going to be there. He was going to continue to push. He was going to to continue to encourage. He was going to continue to be a positive influence in our life, even to the point where we would hear hear him in our sleep. And I still to this day remember that quote. One of the I remember one of the guys uh, broke his leg on the practice field one day, and I just remember how how calm Coach Norton was. Coach was a Christian, and he he exemplified his faith on the field. He he didn't care what anybody thought. He made sure that we knew that he loved he loved us. And that he cared about us. And that day that the that this particular guy broke his leg, he wanted to cuss and yell so bad. But Coach Norton was there, and he didn't. When Coach Norton left, he began to just scream whatever he wanted to scream. But I remember that 
he had such an impact that even in the moments of, of some of the most excruciating pain, that guy held back out of respect for, for Coach Norton. What does that tell and you about he, your own leadership? Like, how does that inform you today? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. I think people are people are always watching, even when we don't realize they're watching. Amen. People are not what they're not necessarily listening to the words you say in the moment. They're they're watching what you do. They're watching how you treat other people, and they're they're watching for what you're going to do especially in times right now when it's tough they're looking for that they're looking for that one leader to step up and take some leadership yeah see i i want to touch on that because yes and then that pressure we can make it we can think of that as pressure makes us sometimes weary of the vulnerability and so holding space for both accountability and vulnerability where I know people are watching me and I need to show up for them but also to not let that take away from being honest and real and vulnerable balancing those both worlds because you lead men and I'm sure they look up I mean they obviously look up to you and you know that they're watching you but I'm sure you have struggles and things that you deal with and stuff so how do you balance those two worlds you know I let for these guys I let them know that I'm right there with them that I deal with the same insecurities I deal with the same sins, the same dreams, the same desires, the same. Sometimes I just want to, you know, crawl up in the room and just shut the door and not come out for a few days. Sure. I deal with the same things that they do. Sure. But what I want, what I always want them to know is, even though I may feel that way, and even though I may, I may hibernate at times to re- replenish, I still come back out of the room. Amen. And I still put put my boots on. I still put my shoes on. I still put my pants on. I still, I still go out into the world and I do what I've got to do in order to serve others because it's, it's what, who I was created to be. And that's who I was created to, what I was created to do. Mic drop. Very good. One final question for you before we go, Scott, where can people connect with you online and stalk you? So I'm at uh, scottspate.com, S-P-E-I-G-H-T.com. And uh, I'm also on Facebook, and uh, it's Scott D. Spate. Uh, I'd love to connect in any way that I, that we can. I'd love Wonderful. to hear from you. Wonderful. All that will be linked in the show notes. Very last question. Uh, powerful story of this uh, young man who was in this accident. Um, people who he thought would be there for him weren't. Got to a point where you're like, F it. Like, screw all this. Whatever. Um, you're in a very different place than you are right now. Probably had no idea of the journey that you were to go on through the military, connecting with all these um, chaplains and meeting all these people and hearing all these stories and one day being led to help men in these vulnerable ways and the work that you're ultimately, you know, now, now that you're called to do. If you were to go and sit with that young man who was in probably a lot of pain um, mm-hmm. and tell him one thing that you know now that he did not know back then, what would that be? I would tell him to never give up. And to read every personal development book, including the Bible, that he can possibly read, because that's really, <laughs> really what it's about. And, and the last thing I would tell him is to find a mentor that you can trust and that you can that is willing to invest in you. Hey, y'all! Before we go, if you are not following me yet on TikTok, what you doing? My username is at Heather Parody. That is P A R A D Y. I would love to connect with you over there if you are doing the TikTok thing. Again, that is at Heather Parody. P A R A D Y.